You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Good afternoon. It's great to see all of you here at City Church. Today, my name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And this summer, during our sermons, we've started a series on the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and specifically chapters 10 through 14. And we're calling it On the Road with Jesus, because it's a time when Jesus has turned his face towards Jerusalem. And um, we're, we're kind of playing off the, the trope of a summer road trip that many of you uh, will go on this summer, have you gone on in the past, and this idea of how uh, all of life is like a road trip with Jesus. It's a journey along with Jesus. And uh, at the start of the summer, I read through a book called Travels with Charlie by John Steinbeck, because it is a story of Steinbeck's road trip. And in the fall of 1960, he took his uh, pickup truck and he converted it into this like modified camper setup and he set off across the country on a tour for three months. Now it wasn't exactly a Spartan version of van life. Um, one of the things that struck me as I read the book was his packing list and he, um, he, he filled this camper with all sorts of things that a writer like Steinbeck would. I think he took a typewriter and he took a bunch of books and he had a taste uh, for the finer things in life so he took a lot of French wine and American whiskey with him. He wasn't exactly roughing it. Turns out you can take the man out of the Hamptons but you can't take the Hamptons out of the man. And what I've come to discover about Travels with Charlie, which is named because he also took his, um, his, uh, his dog with him. It was, a, I think, a French poodle. Charlie went along with him. And what I've since learned about that is that uh, a lot that's in the book is not even true to, uh, true to history. He ended up spending very few nights in the camper van and most of the time in four-star hotels along the way. Um, but, you know, it was a good setup for a, a story, and it's well-written, so you at least have that. Thinking about Steinbeck's uh, travels across America, it made me reflect a little bit on my own family's travels, and there was a trip we took six years ago up to Maine, and then we went up to Maritime Canada as well, and, you know, we didn't have the converted uh, camper van, but we had a minivan, and it was, you know, it had four bikes on the back of it, it had a stand-up paddleboard on top, and on the way home, we also had um, a full-size lobster pot that we wedged in there because we just had to buy a lobster pot when we were in Canada, and a five-foot piece of driftwood that Sarah found on a beach in Maine. And it, it got me thinking of just how much stuff we needed to take as a family on our two-week vacation. And that sort of captures so much of our ethos. You know, we've got the, the cargo racks up on top, we've got the minivan stuffed full, and there's all these things, like Steinbeck, that we need to take with us on our journey. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about that today because as we've been on the road with Jesus, we've been really exploring what makes the good life. 
And we've been seeing that Jesus' vision of the good life is a little bit different from what we generally think of as the good life. So we've talked a little bit about our pursuit of freedom and the true freedom that Jesus offers. Last week I talked about our pursuit of acceptance and the true acceptance that Jesus offers us. And today I want us to talk about another topic. I want us to talk about riches. The places that we uh, find riches and then the true richness and the true riches that Jesus offers us. So to do that, let's look together at Luke chapter 12. If you have a Bible, open up there to Luke 12, or these words are printed in the worship guide as well. You can follow along there. I'm going to read verses 13 through 21 for us. This is God's word that he's given to us because he loves us. And he's, he says this, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. So I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my, my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we acknowledge that just as the rain fruit and vitality today. We know that you desire to do this for us, and we pray that our hearts and minds and even our lives would be open to the leading of your Spirit. Lead us, Jesus. Amen. So today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the abundance of our possessions, and I want to talk about the abundance of his possession those two topics. And the first is simply this, the abundance of our possessions. So my family, at least Sarah and I, and my son went on another road trip last September as we took him to college for the first time. And I have to tell you, I was amazed at how lightly he packs, the simplicity of his life. He took a carry-on suitcase and two Rubbermaid totes for freshman year of college. He had a, he accumulated a little bit more stuff over nine months so coming back there was maybe a third rubbermaid tote but all of his worldly possessions were there and it stood out to me because it is such a contrast in my life in my house and how i pack when i go on a trip you see for most all of us life consists of the abundance of our possessions doesn't it and we use the abundance of our possessions to establish our identity, to establish meaning, and to establish our security. We live by the abundance of our possessions. It's everywhere. Pretty much every time you walk into a room, you are establishing identity, meaning, and security for yourself, and you're assessing it in others based on the abundance of their possessions. Think about your conversations for a minute. 
What do you talk about? You talk about the things that you have, the clothes that you're wearing, or the things that you want to buy, the trips, the experiences, the places you've been to, all of these things that you have accumulated through your riches and through your treasure. You talk about the restaurants that you've been to or the restaurants that you want to go to. All of these things as an attempt to establish identity, meaning, and security, and all of them rooted in possessions. The abundance of our possessions. Maybe you're not convinced. You say, oh, well, that's not me. Then I give you a challenge. You can try to do this next week. In those conversations throughout your daily life, don't talk about your possessions at all. See how that goes. That will reveal to you, I think, because it reveals to me how much my life consists of the abundance of my possessions, the things I have or the things that I want to have. You see, the abundance of possessions is the American dream. It's the, it's the air that we breathe. It is the teeth that we have sucked at our entire lives. The abundance of possessions. It is the land of plenty. That's how we talk about it. That's who we want to be. There are whole industries in our society that are set up to multiply the abundance of our possessions. There are industries that are set up to make it as frictionless as possible for us to possess more. One click, one moment, one swipe of the card, and you can have all the possessions you want. I've been telling people this uh, recently. You know, when I was a kid and I wanted things, if I wanted something, here was the process. I had to save dollar bills, like actual dollar bills. Put them in a jar or something or an envelope, right? And then I had to beg a parent or an older sibling to drive me to this place called a mall where there are a bunch of stores. And then I would have to go into the store and hope that they had the very thing that I wanted and I would hand them this, these dollar bills. And that's how I would get something that I wanted. It was a process that would take, you know, a week, sometimes a month. When my kids want something now, it is on our doorstep the next day. The abundance of possessions defines the American dream. So look again at verse 15 and what Jesus says in this passage. The second half of verse 15. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Is there any teaching of Jesus Christ in all of the Bible that we ignore more or live more diametrically opposed to than that verse right there. Here's the thing, we just don't believe that this is true. We may believe that a lot of things that Jesus says are good and true, but we don't believe this because we have been habituated to believe the exact opposite. Life consists in the abundance of my possessions. Jesus says, that's categorically false. What I'm trying to establish here is that uh, the abundance of possessions, or Jesus also calls it covetousness, greed, it is the controlling idol of our day. It is our functional false god that is, is so, um, so sneaky in the way that it works is that we don't even recognize it. 
It's a respectable idol. It's one that we congratulate each other on, even. I, I would suggest to you that this idea of greed and, and our lust after an abundance of possessions is mostly invisible to us. Because, for a couple of reasons. One, we don't talk about it very much, outside of maybe an occasionally uncomfortable sermon. And we're constantly moving the goalposts around it. Let me explain what that means. Other sins are much more obvious, aren't they, than greed, than the abundance of our possessions. You know, we're not out there building bigger barns. But, why is it that Jesus doesn't say, take care and be on your guard against adultery? Take care and be on your guard against anger. Because those are obvious. Greed, covetousness, we can dress that up. We can hide it. We can avoid it. And so Jesus has to draw our attention to it. The other thing is we always move the goalpost when it comes to greed or the abundance of possessions. At least in terms of our comparison. Because this is always a comparative game with us, isn't it? Well, maybe I have some stuff, but they have a lot more than I do. And we, we go through that process in our minds and in our hearts. There's always someone else that we can name who has more than we do. And that lets us off the hook. We see it even in this passage. It's where the passage starts, right? This man from the crowd comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, tell my brother to defy the inheritance. That catches my heart. Jesus, tell my brother about his covetousness. Tell my sister about her greed and leave me the heck out of it. We can always think about Imelda Marcos' shoes, or we can think about Jay Leno's cars, or we can think about Jeff Bezos' yachts. They have a problem with the abundance of possessions, not me. Until we begin to do an audit of our own lives, right? And what would God say about the abundance of my streaming subscriptions? What would God say about my wine cellar or my whiskey collection? What would God say about my library? It's always someone else who has the problem with the abundance of possessions. Now, let me say this clearly. The problem is not money. Money, the problem is a love of money. What Jesus is talking about in this passage is disordered loves. The problem is a heart that says, all this stuff is from me and for me. And it leaves God completely out of the equation. We, we figure that out a little bit in the parable that Jesus tells. You notice as I read this parable, look at the pronouns again, starting in verse 17 this man who had a plentiful harvest he says what shall i do for i have nowhere to store my crops i will do this i will tear down my barns i will store my grain and my goods right god is completely out of the picture there's no sense that his possessions come from a creating and sustaining god it's betrayed by the pronouns it's also betrayed by this man's self-talk right he says soul 
You have ample things. This is a kind of a, a, a free tip for Bible interpretation. Anytime someone in the Bible, especially with Jesus, is talking to themselves, it's bad news. But isn't that the case with us too? Because we get in these loops that justify our own behavior, that justify our own greed. And we need something to break us out of the self-talk. We need something else. Jesus' parable here in Luke 12 is meant to help us see. This problem that is largely invisible, it's meant to help us see to get our attention. And Jesus does it here through a negative example. He gives a counterexample. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Good Samaritan, and that parable is a positive example. He's saying, be like the Good Samaritan. Here, Jesus is telling a different story, and it has the opposite effect. This time, it's meant you to see the emptiness, the vanity of this man who's consumed by the abundance of his own possessions. And it's an effective example because it echoes all the things that our hearts want as well. All of our disordered loves. We want enough in life, don't we? Enough so that we can relax. So that we can eat, drink, and be merry like the man in the parable. But you know what the problem with enough is? It never arrives. It's a quote from J.D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men in American history. And he was asked, what is enough? Ah, just a little bit more. You see, that's the human heart. Enough never arrives if we've defined life and the good life as the abundance of possessions. And so through all this self-talk and all this uh, first-person pronouns, the parable finally ends in verse 20, or it turns in verse 20, when God speaks. But God. He interrupts the man. He offers a different vision. But God said, fool. He says, you're a fool. He says, I love you, but you're a fool. And the way that you're going does not lead to life. Life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. There is another way. And and he uses uh, this dramatic effect. He says, tonight you will die. And as we all know, Hearses don't pull U-Hauls. All of those things that you have accumulated, all of those possessions, the abundant possessions that you have found identity, meaning, and security in, they will be gone. Now, I realize that so far in this message, it's maybe hard to hear. Remember the other man in the Gospels, that Jesus, a rich man that Jesus talks to, and, and he leaves sad. Maybe that's how you're feeling. Or maybe you're feeling ashamed. There's an old saying about preaching that says that good preaching ought to afflict the comfortable. So if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable and afflicted, that's okay. But good preaching also comforts the afflicted. And so if I've afflicted you, or if Jesus has afflicted you through the first part of this sermon... I want you to hear the comfort of the gospel as well. And it's the second point, right? That we say our life consists in the abundance of our possessions. But God says your life consists in the abundance of my possession of you. True life 
is knowing that you are rich from God, and that in turn makes you rich for God, or towards God, and towards others. Right? If, if the first way of living is this way that says, I am rich from myself, and I am rich for myself, then the gospel says, no, you are rich from God. And because you are rich from God, you can live richly towards God and towards other people. I want to give you another way to understand this parable. Right? Jesus is telling this negative example, and it's about a rich man. But I think behind this text in Luke chapter 12, we're meant to see something else. It's meant to push us. It's meant to, um, to, to suggest another rich man to us. Because in other parables, and other stories that Jesus tells, he uses the image of a rich man. And you know who the rich man is in those stories? It's God. He's the true rich man. This is the negative example, but there's just this hint, there's just this suggestion that we should look for another rich man. And that truly rich man is God himself. And how does he steward his riches? He gives it all to you. God has been so rich towards you. This passage in Luke 12, the man comes to Jesus with a question. He's so concerned about his possessions. But we know from the larger story of Scripture, from the larger story of the Bible, that God has a different view of possession. And in fact, his great possession is you. His great possession is the church. It starts way back there in the Old Testament. It starts with the passage from Exodus that Ben read for us this afternoon. Did you catch that language? God himself is instructing Moses, he's saying, go down and tell the people of Israel that if you obey me, if you are faithful to my commandments, you will be my treasured possession. And Julie so helpfully said, you know, we we read that and we think about, oh, well, it has this conditional. If you are faithful, if you obey my commandments, who could do that? Surely you haven't, I haven't, no one has, right? Except for Jesus. And it's Jesus' faithfulness. It's his keeping of all of the commandments, of his faithfully obeying his Father that made him the Father's treasured possession. And we gain that status through faith in him. That's the gospel. You see, all of life, all of our lives, We're using possessions, trying to gain identity, meaning, and security. And God gives them to us through the richness of the gospel. Who is the rich man? The rich man is God. Or we could also say that the rich man is Jesus Christ himself. And what did Christ do with the riches of heavenly glory? He did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he laid it aside. He laid down the riches that were rightfully his. Why? For you. He gave them away. His treasure given to you. So it says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, a a famous verse, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You see, in Christ we see the opposite of the man from the parable. The man in the parable, he had plenty He looked at all his riches and he said, what should I do? I'm going to build a bigger barn. 
When Christ Jesus looked at his riches, when he saw the plenty that he had from the Father, what did he do? He said, I'm going to build a cross. I'm going to lay my treasure down for these people. That they might become God's treasure. This is the key to true life and full life. Right, I've diagnosed the fact that the American dream says life consists of the abundance of our possessions. You, on your own, are helpless to do anything about that. You will continue to live according to that way unless the gospel breaks through to your heart. Unless this good news that uh, you are the treasured possession of God, unless that breaks through your hard and greedy hearts, but if that happens, and when that happens, it will transform how you think about your possessions. You won't need them anymore to establish your identity, meaning, and security. And you'll be able to follow the example of Christ and lay down your treasure for others and give to others. Once grace has transformed you to see that you are God's possession, how you see the rest of your possessions will be fundamentally changed forever. So let me end with uh, three specific applications of what this means when we begin to understand that we are his possession, that we are God's prized possession. Here's the first. They all come from the passage. Here's the first. Don't lay up treasure for yourself. Jesus says this right there in verse 21 as he's concluding the parable. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Again, that's the negative example. He's saying, don't lay up treasure for yourself. Don't build bigger barns. Don't focus on bigger bank accounts. Change your pronouns from I and mine to his and theirs. Here's another great example of this proper stewardship in the Bible. We actually looked at it uh, a year or so ago. It's the life of Joseph. Joseph was another man in Egypt who had access to all these riches, and he, in fact, built barns, right, to store all the grain that was given to him. And then you know what he did with it? He gave it, his way. He gave it away. He gave it away to, to help the people in need. Don't lay up treasure for yourself. The abundance of your possessions is meant to be used and spent in blessing of others. You know how earlier I described these industries that have made acquiring possessions frictionless. What if you flipped it around? What if you tried to create some friction around acquiring possessions? What could you do to make it a little bit harder to impulse buy, to add one more thing to your collection. Create friction there. But work to make it frictionless when you're giving things away. It's so hard for me to give anything away. I envy people who have this gift of generosity that I don't have. Oh, I, need, I need less friction when it comes to giving things away. I want that to be my instinct, my impulse, generously to share. One of the ways to make it uh, more frictionless is to structure it, set it up 
I don't feel any friction with uh, automatic bill pay. It helps. That's the first thing. Don't lay up treasure for yourself. Here's the second. And this is actually going just outside of this passage. But in verse 33, Jesus returns to this point. And he says there, sell your possessions and give to the needy. You see, the generosity of the gospel makes you generous with others. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. So here, my encouragement, my specific encouragement to you, all of us, I need to do this as well, is perform an audit of your life, an accounting of your life. Your attic, your basement, your little storage box, right? that you haven't looked at in over a year and you keep paying them to hold on to your junk. Right? Sell your possessions and give to those in need. What would that look like? Perform an accounting of your Amazon account and what you spent last month or last year. That'll be eye-opening. You know, all week I have, uh, I've had a terrible week because I've been wrestling with this passage. And I'm not just telling this to you, I'm telling it to me. Because I look around my house and I see an abundance of possessions. And I know what that's doing to my heart. It's telling me, Eric, you're trying to find your identity there. And Jesus is saying, true life is found somewhere else. The last uh, application comes from uh, verse 16. And Jesus told them a parable. just want to underscore that word, them. You see, Jesus is talking to a group of people. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the crowds. He's talking to the church. The application here isn't just for you as an individual. There's application here for us as well. How are we, how is City Church in the grip of an abundance of possessions? How are we taking our treasure and spending it for others? You see, the transformation doesn't just come to individual hearts, it comes to us together. A few weeks ago, one of the elders at City Church told me after a meeting, he was like, you know what, now is the time to talk about giving at City Church. And he said that because we're in a really good place financially. You all have been super generous to City Church. We're ahead of our budget um, as we close out the fiscal year. And the reason that we need to talk about this is because I don't want to talk about your possessions or my possessions when uh, we've got bills that we, we've got to pay. Because the, the big thing isn't to talk about your bank account. The big thing is to talk about your heart. And we can do that better now when money isn't a problem for the church. But where is your heart? You see, this transformation needs to come and live within us first. So we've done a few things here at City Church to try to be transformed, to try to tell one another all the time that our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Two ways we do that. One is we uh, give away to ministry partners 21% of everything that we receive. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again today, you can hold me to this. I want that number to go up. Every year I'm like 21%, that's a lot. This year, it's close to $175,000 that we give away. And we could do some stuff with that money, right? We could hire someone. Maybe we could start thinking about our own building. 
But life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possession. Let us be rich towards God and rich towards others. What if we gave 25% away or 30% away? What kind of glory would that give to God and what kind of good would that do to us? Last thing I'll mention is our mercy fund, right? This seems like a, a, a very a practical application of verse 23. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Our mercy fund exists separate from our general budget for the needy in our congregation in our city. Each year we take in around 20000 in the mercy fund. But what if we began selling some of our possessions, some of the things gathering dust? We might be able to give 40000 or or 100000 away each year. And the whole time we would know the richness that we have from God, that we are His prized possession, that we are His treasure. I know that these are hard things to talk about. but they're at the center of our hearts. So I pray that as you go from here, you'll allow the Spirit to bring conviction, to bring comfort, and to lead you into conversations that might transform what you do with the stuff that God has given you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these friends and for these words. I pray that your Spirit would apply this truth to them. And that your spirit would apply this truth to me. And Father, I pray that over the next several months, we will begin to tell stories of generosity, of laying treasure down, of spending not for ourselves, but for others. And that those stories would point us to where the fullness of life is found. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.